Hello and welcome to Top Shelf, where we discuss food, spirits, and all the other things that make life worth living. We are your hosts. I'm Adam, and I'm joined by Rex. Hey, what's up? Not long ago, Rex and I had a distinct pleasure to feast on some of the delicious food over at Picaro, L.A. Chalkboard walls tell the wines that are in store for you, but don't assume that good wine is all they have to offer. The menu will blow your mind. Today we're joined by Lior. How's it going? And uh, Robert. Joined by Robert. So uh, you guys uh, are from the Baccaro, L.A.? That's correct, yeah. Okay, and how long have you guys been there? Uh, four and a half years, coming up on five years in April. Okay, and what role do you play? Okay. One of the owners, but I'm also your server, your bartender. Okay, very hands-on. The I like guy that. who mops the floors sometimes. Oh, all right. Rolls of silverware. We're really hands-on at our place, so mm-hmm. usually one of the owners is always there, or Lior is there most of the time also, so somebody who's really invested in the business is usually always there. Right. Keeping an eye on things. Okay. And Leo, are you even there since the beginning? I joined in about, I want to say, four months into the process. Um, I joined in. I came. I moved back from New York and uh, I was looking for a job. I met Danny, which is one of the other owners, and uh, we started then. Yeah. Okay. And in New York, you were uh, working at a pretty high-end... Yeah, I was working for Jean-Georges. Right. At the Jean-Georges restaurant. He's like a living legend in the culinary world. He is basically. a living legend, yeah. Mm-hmm. Very respectable chef around the world. And I think that shines through. Um, I just want to cut in here and uh, just say your your food is amazing. It really is. Absolutely. Uh, it, that's it's, it's, Yeah, that's an <laughs> understatement. You can't really put into words, basically, how great the food is at your restaurant. Although and, we will try since it is a talk show. Uh, but, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, just it, it, was, it was amazing. Every single dish there it, that we had is definitely a dish. If served somewhere else, you would go there specifically for that dish, bringing you back over and over again. Just it shines through. Basically, there's so many elements to the food. They they all come through, and I was just really blown away by by the food that was there. Thank you, I appreciate and, it. And especially, I mean, when you compare and contrast that with like the price point that your happy hour specials are at and stuff like that, I mean, it's unbeatable. I think. But let's get into that. Basically. Yeah. So, how did you decide you wanted to start cooking? How did, how did that start? Ugh. Just realize one day I'm amazing and I need to keep. <laughs> not really, not really. I was, uh, I was, I think I started when I was around 13. My father had a metal shop, and he was a sheriff where I grew up. He was head of security, as a police officer. My mom was a housewife, but she never liked cooking. But she cooks very well. Hmm. I love your food, mom. But um, <laughs> I just started cooking then, and it just became more obvious for me. This is something that I really want to do through junior high and high school and the yearbook. You know, there's a picture of me holding a rolling pin and a piece of bread and says, like, right. gonna, I'm going to open a restaurant soon. Very but then cool. the military came in and decided not to go on that route to be a cook in the military. I decided to be a trooper. And then I graduated. And immediately as I graduated, I started culinary school and baking school. Oh, so you could become a cook in the military when you, you apply? They're all, oh, yeah. all professions are open for you. Oh, really? Yeah. Most people can choose actually what they want to do. So, so easy choice for you then, cook. Yeah, I didn't want to do. I didn't want to do this because I was afraid it's going to kill my passion for cooking. Oh, okay. massive, ah. massive cooking for three thousand people or and five hundred people. Oh, it's, just, yeah. it's a little different than creating something more unique and special and small. You'd be doing prep work for like yeah. sixteen hours at a time, <laughs> just cutting potatoes mm-hmm. and only potatoes over and over yeah, again. Yeah, not my thing. <laughs> it's kind of like those old Wonder Brothers cartoon where Donald Duck is like sitting in a, a Navy ship cutting, cutting, cutting potatoes, potatoes, potatoes yeah. over and over again. <laughs> I was I was trying to avoid it, but you know I, my experience in the military was great. But as soon as I finished that, I got out and I started my baking school and culinary school for sure. 
And then my brother who lived here for a while offered me to come over and I wanted to go into La Cordon Bleu. That was my goal. Okay. I did La Cordon Bleu here and before I finished my classes, I flew to New York for an interview to become an intern at Jean-Georges restaurant and I got hired that night. But wow. I, had to fly. I, I flew in the morning of, I did my interview, I stayed there until late night and then I flew back from the restaurant straight to the airport back to LA because I had a class the next morning that oh, I, had to, I had to catch. Man. And I got hired then, as soon as I finished my, my, my last class, I flew to New York and oh. I was there for two years almost. Damn, so you just leapt right into it. It was yeah. very streamlined, right? After a month and a half, one of the cooks at the Garamaja station, it's a cold station, quit or got fired, whatever happened over there. <laughs> and I went to my sous chef. I'm like, so I know you have opening and I want that position. So I was kind of bugging him every day for about two weeks until he's like, do you want the job? I'm like, yeah. I'm like, where do I sign? Awesome. So I got, I got hired. Little did you know you were signing your life away. Probably. <laughs> probably. The interview was like, yeah, just to, you know, you're not going to make money over here. <laughs> no. And you're probably not going to get the fame because it's not yours. But you're definitely going to get good school, which I did. And I'm grateful for every minute that I was there. It's such a great school to go through. You know, as far as techniques, etiquettes, everything. And whatever I wanted to learn in the kitchen, you could see that at the finest. I can only imagine how, like, insane it must be working in a place like that. Just because of the ridiculous standards that a lot of that style of cooking demands of you, basically. It's insane because it's three Michelin-star restaurant. You cannot go higher than three Michelin-star restaurant. And for an intern, fresh out of school, going to the highest grade of restaurant. Right. It's like, from there, it, you can only go downhill. You know. Yeah. You were telling <laughs> but, us that it's almost like a curse, actually, right? Well, it, some people, yeah. It's, I, <laughs> I, I learned that fine dining at somebody's not for me. I like more of the rustic. This is one of the learning processes that I've been through. But somebody who... who in this industry and likes fine dining and want to be cooking fine dining, when he goes to a restaurant that is that high of a level, and then when he's done with it or moving on and suddenly going to other restaurants, you not have the luxurious kitchen you, you get at this three Michelin star restaurant. You're not getting the luxurious uh, produce or products that you're using, yeah. you know, top of the line, flown in every day. You know, well, it's not a curse, but, you know, it's yeah. kind of a you're not getting the same. Well, I, what I meant was that basically when you have the Michelin stars, the people that preside over the rating system kind of like put the shackles on as far as your conduct all the time. And since they can hold you up to that standard, you're limited almost in what you can do with, with your food. I think that you kind of see that with the food that you produce now where you say basically it's like very involved. And I don't know if that would fly over, right? Because basically you have the open-faced peanut burger that you have. It's very involved. It takes a lot of work. And, it, and it's very good. And I think the work is amazing that you do put into it, but you are very involved in that food when you eat it because you have to cut it apart and then right. get it into pieces and stuff like that. And uh, I think that's kind of a liberty that you might not be able to get away with it at, at a restaurant like that, right? Am I, I agree with you. I don't think I aspire to be a Michelin star graded restaurant or my, my cooking because I'm not aiming for that. It's not like I, don't, I cannot get it. It's just like it's not something that I want to do. The categories that they judge the restaurants on are so meticulous and so insane. That's why. That's so, basically what. But I was it's just not. To. It's just not my cup of tea. But you know, I, I, I'm all about engaging with the with the food, and, and I want the customer to be involved as well. See whatever I'm putting on the plate. I, I'm not saying it's not happening in fine dining. but fine dining, it's a it's a different sort of art in the industry. You know, it's a little more. 
just structure the yeah, procedural, yeah. basically. But it's yeah. it's really great that he comes from that background, or, or like a really refined technique, and he offers that in a in a casual setting, which is a really good balance, I think. I I agree. I mean, in your restaurant when we were in there, basically, <clears throat> it was a very casual, you know, atmosphere. And one of the things about the food that I love also is that it was so good that somebody that doesn't have a culinary background or doesn't isn't necessarily a foodie can go in and it's going to blow their mind regardless of whether or not they know what's in it or not. Just the, how you balance all the flavors and how they all show through. Even if they can't name what's in that dish, they're going to be like, oh my God, this tastes amazing. Yeah. And, and I think a lot of times what we do is we, we kind of lose ourselves in the fact that, oh, look at all these crazy ingredients I put into this dish. And isn't it great? And then the people taste it, and it doesn't really taste that great because it's just not, they don't pull it off. And then you have a foodie that, you know, got his nose in the air going, oh, well, you just don't know what you're talking about. It's kind of like sommeliers that tell people why the wine is good as opposed to letting people kind of discover why wine's good on its own and then being like, right. well, this is really what you like about wine. You know, that's, that's how I feel uh, about the food in your restaurant is that you kind of introduce them to it. And they're going to like it no matter what. And then you can say and elaborate on that and be like, well, this is really what you like about food in general. And it kind of steers them in different directions. Right. And one thing that as far as the those different flavors that we were having, they all were very complimentary of each other. And in, in some cases with the peanut butter burger specifically, it, it kind of came in waves. Like with every chew, a different flavor got released into my mouth. And it was it was just, it, it was amazing. And then the second bite is different flavors all together because you, you get different parts of everything. And it was, but it was all very complimentary. It all went with, with well with itself and in opposed to having competing flavors that I want is trying to overpower this one's better this one's not so good but it was it was all it was all good and, I, and in fact I felt kind of pretentious or snooty when I wrote down uh when I was tasting the burger I wrote umami and and not umami. a lot of people yeah, well not a lot of people <laughs> umami or umami no umami oh, okay no. umami is good no 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 because no. <laughs> well, people familiar with with Japanese food actually know that umami is like a, a flavor yeah. Yeah. and the glutinous flavor of the meat is really what umami is supposed to be and it comes through with your burger you really get that whereas sometimes you eat stuff and you're just like there's a meat in there it, it wasn't like that it was right. clearly like it was beef and it definitely kind of shone through. And then you also had like the homemade pickles that were in there and then the mm -hmm. crunchiness with the bread that added a different element on top of it. And then just the peanut butter paired with the meat taste just, it, it really, it's explosive. Right. It's and really, then really good. Throw an egg in there also. Just oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh. <laughs> it's funny. Just a lot of people come to the restaurant. Some of them are not very uh, prone to, to try new things. So okay. yesterday, for example, I was working the bar a little bit. I was helping out and uh, we had a customer coming in and I'm like, so, you know, I'm putting out these specials, and on the specials, we have the, the burger with the peanut butter sauce. He's like, um, I don't know. I don't know. I'm like, you know what? When the last time you tried a burger with the peanut butter on it? He's like, never. Yeah. Never. I'm yeah. like, why won't you try it? And if you hate it, I'll take it off your bill. Oh, How's nice. that sound? He finished it and came, came to the kitchen and said, thank you. Yeah, All right. Exactly. You know, it's like, just give it a shot. Absolutely. It's one of those things that, I mean, for a lot of people, they don't see the logical leap there. But I think the perfect example is just like saute, the Thai dish, where you pair barbecue beef with a peanut sauce. And that just makes so much sense mm -hmm. when they're doing it there. And then you took that and then kind of uh, extrapolated on that idea and paired it with a lot of other flavors. But to me, it made sense. When you when I saw the peanut butter on there, I'm like, yo, that's a great idea. <laughs> I mean, everybody should be doing this. Absolutely. Um, but, I mean, we we had a lot of other dishes there. And one dish in particular also really was just, like, blew me away was the chicken breast. 
that was done with the lemon uh, caper sauce with jalapeno. And the, the, the thing that really kind of blew me with that was the jalapeno was there, and it, it, you can definitely taste the jalapeno taste, but you didn't get a lot of the heat that overwhelms yeah. other flavors often with jalapeno. But, but it, it, it didn't kill the taste buzz with spiciness. Yeah. It just kind of just the flavor was there without the attack on the nostrils, everything, like <laughs> start sweating and all that stuff yeah, that comes that, with jalapeno usually. Yeah, yeah and then it's there. on the risotto cake with two different types of risottos in there. Oh. And the, the chicken was just so juicy and tender that it paired perfectly and almost it just broke apart with the crunchiness of the risotto cake. The textural elements at play there were just really, really great. It was, it was impressive, and you saw a bunch of flavors that were really clear and that showed through all at the same time. And you said that people actually complained, right? Because you took that dish off the menu at one I point. I did. A year ago, I took it off the menu for a great while. and uh, Threat Threatened, not complained. I, I, threatened. I, we, we got, no, we got email, angry emails uh, from a couple of customers who used to be regulars and come in, and they literally generally got really upset. And, like, I'm coming to the restaurant for this dish, and I'm like, I don't know, why would you take it off? And I'm on my end. I'm like, I was just kind of bored of making this dish. I'm like, all right, I'm gonna, just going to change it a little bit. The waiters in the restaurant when the customer were asking about it, they're like, you can get up and go to the, talk to the chef. <laughs> I would get, because they would, they we would be tired of explaining. <laughs> so I would get people coming in the, the kitchen and just stand there looking at me. I'm like, hi. <laughs> and they're like, um, we really want you to bring the chicken dish back. I'm like, what? <laughs> get out of my kitchen. <laughs> and like, it, we had like, literally I had multiple people coming in. And when I brought it back in, we send, I'm like, I just told Bobby to send a text or post it on Facebook that chicken dishes back. And that night, I think we saw about 30 orders of chicken. Like we had the students yeah. coming in and a lot of, a lot of other people who like the dish. And two days ago, we had a, a customer who came in. She said the dish changed her life. She's like, she never orders chicken. She never, she's like, I never order chicken because usually it's always dry and whatnot. Right. And he's like, this dish is spot on perfect. I'm like, <laughs> You it's, you're converting vegans back to, to meat with it, probably. They just smell it and they know how to do it. Already, already two vegans are converted. Is that right? Yeah. What? Wow. Damn, those, that's some... One vegetarian, one vegan. <laughs> no, it's like, I'm, I'm, you have a lot of options of vegans and, and vegetarian on the menu. I used to get text messages to my personal cell phone. Hey, I'm just wondering uh, when you guys bring that chicken back. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I don't know, man. <laughs> it's like Stewie and Brian from Family Guy. Where Stewie's like, where's my money, Brian? Yeah. <laughs> Except it's with the chicken dish. Where, where's the chicken dish? You know, can you yeah. bring it back soon? Hmm? Hmm? Yeah. Just constantly so, so you're on the front end, so you dealt with that a lot more than your would? The people coming complaining about the lack of chicken? Oh, uh, Maybe not more. Not but, more? Okay. But we all dealt with it. Okay. <laughs> now, was, as far as the clientele goes, what, what do you, what, how would you describe the people that come into there? About 45 to 50% of our business comes from USC students. Okay. And I'd say, I don't know, 15%, another 15% is Koreans. Okay. Because uh, we're about five, 10 minute drive away from Koreatown. So we have a lot of, you know, young, hip Koreans who are like really plugged into foodie the foodie stuff. culture and they eat out all the time and they love spending money on going out. Okay. Um, and we have a lot of those customers and they're awesome. We love them. Sometimes they come in with groups of 25, 30 people and, and have a great time there. And the rest are just, you know, downtown people, Silver Lake people, some people from the west side that make the drive out, and then just a good mix of crowd. That's one of my favorite parts about Barco is you'll walk in on a Thursday or Friday night and maybe a third of the room will be students, a third of the room will be people my parents' age, another third would be like young professionals in their 20s and early 30s. So it's always a really cool vibe. 
when we went, it was very relaxed, very upbeat. I think at one yeah. point there was Parliament played on the the sound yeah, the system, right. and I'm like, that's, that's oh my, God, that's amazing, yeah. fantastic. We got the Parliament. I love, I love George Clinton. <laughs> but it's also a very good looking crowd. In, Absolutely, it's not a bad job. Good, good scenery. There. Very good. Yeah. So on that note, what made you want to get into the restaurant industry? When I when I was still in school, I was doing this underground supper club once a week for two years. And I really enjoyed it. I had a really good time doing it and I was really happy. So I just kind of continued that after I graduated with Bacro and with my brother. And it's, it's a lot of hard work, but when people, I, I just love being a host in general. I love having parties at my house. And so I, I find it really rewarding when people have a good time at my place. Okay. And, and they call me the next day and say, Hey, like we came to Bacro last night. We had an awesome time. Thank you so much. And that's the really rewarding part of the job. And as long as I keep waking up in the morning wanting to go to work and being happy when I leave, I'll, I'll keep doing it. Yeah, it's a big you plus. Know? A lot of people don't like driving to work. They're like upset on the way to work because they hate their job. That's mostly because of the 405, though. Adam. <laughs> 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 Not, I, mean, I don't know about you, but the commute. Oh, my God. And we have like a really close team at work. We all know each other very well. We're all very close to the family well, like, almost. Yeah, family. Like you know, very I've known Lior for four years now. And he comes to Christmas. So cool. two of the guys who work there have known since I've been a little kid. So we're very, very close. And when you love the people you work with, it's, it's easy to get through the bad parts. Absolutely. Definitely. So, And it was kind of a natural leap because you were doing the once a week supper club and you kind of already developed a reputation as kind of like being into food. And then you were kind of like the guy to go to for that. So then it was just a logical leap to take it to the next step and open a, a restaurant and where you could just do it permanently, right? Yeah, yeah. That makes a lot of sense. I mean, that I'm sure that made starting very easily because I'm sure it's very hard to develop like a clientele that knows about your restaurant when you initially open. But you, it sounds like you already had that. To some degree, yeah. Yeah, because I went to USC. So a lot of the people who were coming to my apartment to eat once a week, if they couldn't get a reservation or couldn't get in, they'd go to Macro. Oh. Yeah. yeah. So it was a lot of shared clientele and as soon as I graduated and moved to Bacro with my brother, all those people used to come out of my apartment just started coming to Bacro. So nice. do you still do private, uh, like, underground? I, I do, uh, not as often, because I'm so busy with work at Bacro and, and other stuff we got going on. So I don't really have the energy or the time to keep running an underground supper club slash restaurant. But I do still do it maybe once every couple of months just to keep it going. It's, we still have people who, who want to come and eat so and it's a lot a lot of fun i love yeah i, love food. I mean it's it's yeah. great to share food with people who love food and, and can really appreciate it yeah it definitely brings people together it's one of those things yeah now along with we'll, we'll go back to the food because the food to me was a huge highlight and i, I want to spend time on that <laughs> but i don't want to step over the fact that you guys have some decent wines there as well and they, they're listed on the wall which i haven't seen before which is pretty cool like the walls are almost like a chalkboard oh. that you have listed the reds the whites the desserts and how does the wine list get chosen? A variety of different factors. And the reason why we have it on a chalkboard wall is the wines change very frequently coming in they and out. So good. it makes it really easy for us just to erase one and write one on. We try to bring in wines from very small production wineries and countries that aren't necessarily known for making great wine, but they're kind of on the up and up. For example, we have like a lot of Eastern European wines like from Montenegro, Croatia, and 
Okay. And what's great about them is they're not so well known yet, but they make great wine. So we can get them at a great price. They do. We can offer our customers, you know, wines by the glass for $8 and they're just as good as a traditional Bordeaux from France. That's usually $14 glass. Right. So and it's, I think it's a learning experience for people who come in to find, you know, find these new wines from all over the world that they've never seen before. And well, people um, love that just because the wine culture is exploding. Yeah. Yeah. And as well as like doing like the wine list on the chalkboard. And offering wines that are not that familiar to everybody or you cannot find everywhere. And in a really affordable prices, it kind of takes it down to an eye level. Like, you know, when you, it's not being pretentious about the wine. It's actually, it's very like casual setting. Yeah. It's not, not when you go into like, it's not intimidating for the customer. It's like, it's just very approachable. It's very organic almost, you know, mm -hmm. it's like, you know, we have like the whole ceremony with the sommelier and opening the bottle and presenting. I don't think we do that to, to all to the extreme. It's, you know, we're just serving wine. It's, right. It's, it's a great, it's a great, comfortable, you know, approachable kind of a setting for that. I, th I think that is one thing that I found about the place is that it gives you the taste as far as the wine and the food goes of a very prestigious fine dining restaurant, but you can be comfortable there. And it's a casual dining it's, Yes. It's, it's, it's very casual, but the quality is so high end that it's almost weird that you're that comfortable while you're having these, these great things in front of you. Because I, I think that that usually comes with a sense of people wearing monocles and penguin suit tuxedos yeah. that they, you need to elbows off the table, elbows off the table. It's very pretentious. Yeah, I think that's, yeah. <laughs> that's part of the big reason why people come back is because they have fun right. eating the food. And it's exactly. very, very intimate. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You build this. Once you're in Baccaro, you forget about what's outside. Okay. You forget about L.A. You're in Baccaro. That's, that's it. Yeah. And I don't know if you do that on purpose where you kind of shut the blinds and yeah. everything and now you're just there and you're only there but uh you definitely get that feeling this is this purpose. is this is yeah the same purpose but, uh, we got a few people before they came in and said this is oh this is like east village kind of feel to it or this is kind of a san francisco indie places like hip places feel to it okay. so it's, it's just nice to be on that side of town that some people think it's not the best place to you know to have a restaurant and create this atmosphere that people come in and be like, it's a diamond in a rough. It's just one of those things that makes us, and we strive for it to be special about. Now, I had been there before, about a year ago. I went uh, exclusively for the wine, because I was trying to find wine bars, and I went for the wine. And I didn't have the food the first time I went there. But it was just the wine. I think I had a cheese platter as well, and it was very good. But we, when we came in a couple of weeks ago, and you started giving us the food, it blew my mind. Because I went with the intentions of it just for the wine. And I wasn't expecting food to be there at all. But then once you started giving us the food, it opened up a whole new area of Bacaro that I hadn't thought was there. And I, oh, everybody that's on Yelp, I guess, already knows this, but I, I wasn't doing it through Yelp. I had a friend that was living very close by that introduced me to it. And I'm, I'm glad they did because it was it was good. But then the food you started bringing out. And uh, the bruschetta was the first thing you brought up, which was very good. You had a little bit of basil on there, which was perfect. Because <laughs> uh, the basil can be overpowering if you put too much on there. It is overpowering. Yeah, basil is over. I'm not a big basil fan. When I'm using powerful herbs, I'm making sure that I'm not because these things, these spices and herbs, can overpower a lot of other things that I want to showcase in the dish, mm -hmm. like the fresh tomatoes or the black pepper that goes on the tomatoes and the gray salt that goes on the tomato. The olive oil—it's a one-unit thing. You know, it has to be complete. But once you put something or over overuses, it's like you're missing. You're missing the whole point. Missing everything else. Yeah, because it, you know? it unbalances. But like I you was, said about the jalapenos and the chicken, it's the same thing, you know. It's like right. you don't you don't want to overpower anything. Exactly. There's no like I was saying earlier, there's no competition between the flavors. There's enough that you get the taste without it 
overpowering anything else, which is very good. Now, uh, one of the uh, other highlights that you guys have is the uh, the chipotle cauliflower. Oh my god! Uh, <laughs> the chipotle cauliflower started as a as a me making myself a sauce for a sandwich for lunch. Oh, is that right? And then you know it became oh let's try it on cauliflower. I like cauliflower. Mom used to make a dish of cauliflower, so I'm like you know I flash fry the cauliflower and I took the sauce and the chipotle aioli. I toss it in. It's like huh, that's nice. And then we started kind of branching out and started gave other people to taste it. This is my process. When I'm making a dish, it has to pass with me and then my sous chef. Okay. And then it goes to Danny and Bobby. And then when I get different, I, there's some specific reactions when, it, when I get people and I know that they, they, they actually like it. Like Danny have a, like a big nod in his head when he likes something. All right. And Bobby's like, you know, he guys like, oh. <laughs> like, but so we, I, I decided to put on the menu. I thought this is a, this is a, it's, I can sell okay. this dish. The first time I tried it, I put it in my mouth. It's like, it's great. Just put it on. So it became from, from the Chipotle, from cauliflower. I just, I just picked up. Everybody just loved it. It takes 30 seconds to make too. That's awesome. Oh my God. <laughs> and, and which is a big part of creating dishes at Bacro for Lior too. Yeah. For me to, when I'm creating a dish, it's the pickup sequence in the kitchen because we have about 30 dishes on the menu and I don't want to make the menu bigger. I would rather make Dishes that doesn't sell and replace it with something that might sell better. But I don't want to make a menu that people sit down and have like a book in front of them. Oh, and yeah, start flipping through Nobody and have that. so many options. Because I know myself when I go to a restaurant, I don't like to have tons of options. I want to have one chicken, one fish, one steak. And I find something that I like. And I think this is the, the right way to, to do it. it. I think so, too. It's a streamlined way of showing people that, hey, look, I know what I'm doing. And here they are right there. You know, if when people just throw a ton of things on a menu. You don't want to sift through all that and then figure out what's good. You just want to have basically all the great restaurants that I've been to are just two pages, three pages, yeah. and that's it. Most of the time, it's just two pages, three pages on a wine list. like yeah. that. It's, it's very simple, very streamlined. It's definitely like a good example of how people could take a very simple lesson from like in and out basically, and then kind of extrapolate on that is that in and out has, like I think, three menu options. To this day, yeah, pretty much, basically. Yeah. There are three menu options. They do it exceptionally well. Everybody knows about those things. And then they go there for those things. There's no time that it takes to actually order those things because uh, you know what you want most of the time. It's very obvious. You look at them and it's very simple. Yeah. You, you don't see guys standing there for 30 minutes trying to decide what they want to order because yeah. the choices are limited. And it's by design. If you do something well, then that's all, that's all that matters. If You can do a lot of things mediocre and it's not as good as you're doing a few things very well. I mean, it's great because some, sometimes they're pushing over a hundred plates out the kitchen in an hour. Wow. Cause you know, people order a lot of things, you know, right. it's not like each person orders one thing. Everybody's ordering, you know, plates for the table. So they're pushing out a lot of plates. So it's amazing that some of them, like, for example, the cauliflower that people love so much, it tastes so great. Lior creates that in under 30 seconds. Okay. Some yeah. of those dishes. That's, that's, that's a beautiful thing, which is awesome. And a testament awesome. to your prep work. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> when it became that popular and it was repeatedly uh, um, on Yelp, people were reviewing the sauce and it became a condiment among the workers there when they're eating something or even bringing food from outside, Subway or whatever they were big in. They would always ask, can I, can I take from that a little bit? Uh -huh. Just, you know, just a little bit. They would take the bottle and just pour it in the sandwich and then eat it. Just like make this, take it to the yeah, next level. It's absolutely. like people. So, um, Bobby and their father, Paul, collaborated 
with me and we opened a sauce company. Well, we're, we're going to eventually start manufacturing all, all of the sauces ourselves. So we picked up the chipotle and we actually bottled it a few months ago. We got accepted into a Whole Foods. Okay. Nice. Cool. Yeah. That's a, that's a big, it's a big move. But that, that was, you know, it was kind of a, I wouldn't say natural move, but it was like, it was that popular for us to be able to go ahead and do that. You know, and it just made sense. Yeah, we yeah. just saw the demand for it there, and I saw it for months. You know, <clears> for years, I, I should say. There was yeah, a two-year process. Yeah, for a long time, yeah. And I said, you know, we should bottle this thing, sell it, and, <laughs> which sounded very easy. Easier said than done. Yeah. Right. So it well. turned out to be a much more complex process than then, let's put it in a bottle and sell it. All right. Uh, yeah. so, um, it took about a year to finally get in the bottle in proper way. But it's uh, it's going well so far. We got into accepted into Whole Foods, which is really big for us. So that's Absolutely. that's the first big step for this new business we opened. And I just saw it as a really good way to diversify our existing business at Bakra, creating food products from the restaurant that will be in markets that are like really high quality products. You know, they're all natural, they're gluten free, there's no preservatives. So we we're trying to strive to make really clean, high quality products that taste great. So people can expect to see the sauces here in the local LA area, or do you know which stores they're going to be serving in, or what the we brand? We don't know 100 percent sure yet, but what we've been told is the regional buyer told us that he wants to put us in the five Orange County Whole Foods, the two Pasadena stores, and the one Glendale store. And uh, when it gets to the shelf, uh, what's the what's the brand name that people are going to look for? It's Chipotle dipping sauce. Yeah, it's called Bacro LA's Chipotle dipping sauce. Nice, nice. Uh, and then I think you were talking about another sauce that you were in the process of. Yeah, kind of that's uh, the marketing. second sauce we're going to go for. It's uh, the tahini sauce. It's a parsley tahini sauce, tangy. Comes on the lamb burger. Yeah, we serve it on the lamb. Yeah. So it, it picks up very well. It's gluten-free. Again, no dairy, no vegan. It's all natural. It's vegan. Really? There's no animal products inside or whatsoever. <laughs> because there's, like a, there's a really common misconception with people that, Vegan foods or, you know, those really clean, all-natural foods. Like, a lot of people who love food think those products taste like crap. All right. <laughs> so what we're trying to accomplish is offering these really high-quality, clean products with really good ingredients that taste really good. And they're already, the taste is already there. People know they taste good. So we're just trying to kind of ride on that wave, kind of change that misconception. As you guys who really like food, would you choose to go to an all-vegan restaurant? Not of Probably my not, own right? choice. It depends on who because, I'm dating. Like, yeah. <laughs> a yeah. vegan cake always really sucks. I, I, you know, I, I, listen, I, I was in the same mind setting for a long time. See, that's what, but that's what I'm saying. It's changing now. It's changing. blew my mind away. I was like, yeah. this is without cheese. It was amazing. Yeah, yeah. But so, that's changing. So most of the time, if somebody told me that it was vegan and it was good, then I wouldn't trust them. But from, from <laughs> you, from, from Bobby here and from Chef Leo, I, I'll trust you, definitely. That, that I will definitely trust that. Yeah, I'm going to have to try something. Because usually I wouldn't purposely eat anything vegan uh, just because, like you were saying, I would assume that it's not going to taste good. Do you know how many things you eat vegan a day that you don't know aware of? Uh-oh. Rice. Right. Okay. Pasta without eggs sometimes. Mm. You know, there's so many things out there in the, you know, in the market that people are like, oh, this is vegetarian. It's a, it's a dish with only vegetables. <laughs> but yeah. nobody did, nobody classifies it. That's as true. It's yeah. a vegetarian dish. Interesting. You know, when people come to Tobacco, and I have actually I have one customer who comes to Tobacco, she's lactose intolerant and she got celiac, so she cannot consume any gluten. gluten. Yeah. And it's all these things that she has, but she comes in and 
I always make sure she has something to eat. And if I have nothing on the menu that she wants or she's tired of, I will make something special for her. But our menu accommodates a lot. In my kitchen, I allow substitutes for people. Some restaurants don't, and I don't get it. I think we're here to, the restaurant is there, and my kitchen is there to make people happy when coming to, you know, have a dining experience. And when we have a group of 30 people and one of them is like two or three or some one of them doesn't eat cheese or whatnot, I want to be able to accommodate them and make sure the experience they're having with the whole group would be phenomenal. So it's really important for me. Some restaurants choose not to because they're so confident about their food and blah, 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 that, you know, I don't, I don't get it. But that's a different story. But our menu accommodates a lot of those dietary restrictions that people have today. And, and I, I think it's more, some, sometimes it's dietary restrictions, sometimes it's, it's it trends. Like the gluten-free trend right now, because people think that gluten is like a the cause for, for obesity now. Yeah. You know, it's like, whatever. I, but I, I don't mind to accommodate this if this is if this is what it takes. You brought up an interesting point that I hadn't thought of before. That if I was at the market and I saw two boxes of rice on the shelf, and one just said rice and one said vegan rice, I would go for the regular rice, even though it's probably the exact same thing. Yeah. Just because the word vegan was in there. But you're saying that that's not necessarily true. That it's it's going to be flavorless. When I it's it's the same thing. It's just a matter of packaging. Yeah. Go to the candy aisle and see all the um, gummy bears. It mm. says fat free. Yeah. They never had fat inside <laughs> never, to begin ever. with. So it's fat free to begin with. They just have a lot of sugar and, and gelatin. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And people are like, okay, then I won't get fat. Like, exactly. The that's the common, that's a common they, assumption. They just kinda... make the mistake. So yeah. on from that, one thing we uh, also had was the, uh, the clams, the grilled bread. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of flavors going on with that. And it was the sauce specifically, is, is that what adds all the flavor to it? The clam takes a big part of it because the base of it is, you know, the mirror vegetable, which is carrot, celery, onion. I got a little bit of cherry tomatoes and capers, you know, acidity kind of breaks down everything. When you cook the clams, we do the base, the flavor base in the beginning with the butter and everything else, all the, all the vegetables. And then we add the clams inside. We heat it up and then we add the wine. So when you, the clams are being steamed, they're pushing out all the, juice. all the juices. Mm-hmm. So without the clams, you will never get the flavor of the sausage. No matter what you can put inside, you need clam juice or, but the clams pushing out their, their juices inside, it's just the broth, everything just flavors up. And that's how you get that, just like the ocean. They, they open up in the, well, they, they open up, yeah. And the, that's where you get like the ocean you taste that's just so good in that. And, uh, that's a really important two part about the process because the ones that don't open up, those are, yeah, those, those are the ones you throw out. Yeah. yeah. You, those are the ones you, you don't, don't eat. Those. If you've ever cooked shellfish before then yeah that's the way you do it okay <laughs> and, and very much like the other food that we had there with the clams it was first i had the clam by itself and then i had it, the second one with the sauce in it and then added the bread on top it's like every every time it got better and better with it, everything that got added to it and at the very end i found myself soaking up those the sauce with the bread and just like no more clams but i got some bread here and still some sauce in there so i just you we usually it. get we usually get can we get some it. more bread please yeah ah, exactly yes because <laughs> they have to do that and i love that I love when people just get hands on and just, you know. Yeah. Like on the same note, though, I think that was really important to uh, when I tasted the dishes, for instance, with the pork belly, it was really important for me to taste the pork belly by itself mm-hmm. and then do the lemon afterwards. Right. Because I wanted to see the, t- the flavor by itself first and then see how the lemon changed it. And the pork belly, the way you, that you braise it, it's amazing because it leaves like basically soft centers and then crunchy outsides. And the texture is completely different, but it's all very, very rich. Absolutely. And I think you said you braise it for like three hours or something. The, like the bellies that. are being braised in, in a, about 17 different ingredients. 
cheese oh. of a broth and spices and for about th- about three hours, and it has to be chilled overnight in order for us to handle it for the next day. And that's so. just, it was so good, and it was just very, very rich. And then you were right, because when you came out and you brought that dish to us, you're like, here, use a little bit of lemon. You need the acid to cut the richness of the dish. And I had by itself, and you're right, it was very, very rich. And then the, when the acid came in there, it just, it balanced it perfectly. It was it's, really It's good. one of the things that, you know, a lot of people don't, some people think it's just a garnish. Like when I throw a piece of lime, we have a cod cake, salt, uh, salt cod cakes, and I put a piece of lime on it. And then some of them lime, we have lemon too on the on the pork skewers, the pork belly skewers. And some people just don't use it. And I'm like, you're That's missing, mistake. you're just missing it. So like the high note of the of the dishes, that you just like. A lot of times, if you just get it back in the in the kitchen, I see when they're clearing the plates, they see the whole slice or wedge of lime or lemon stay whole and like they didn't use them like they, they it's, missed there out. For, it's there for a reason yeah right? they didn't they didn't get the dish basically they, they got half of what they should have experienced right that. but we still get good reviews i'm guessing you know to each zone it's I, for me you know each each one of us has a different palate right you know and you know some person something doesn't like something or think my food is too salty or too bland it's i you never take things personally on that one so i i learned i always i always get really upset. like i'm very emotional about my food in the beginning, <laughs> as, a, as a starting cook, you know, you're creating something, you have so much passion for it. So it's too salty. I'm like, it's not. You know? uh, like like uh, the, the chefs at the restaurants where somebody will ask for salt because they actually don't put it at the table. And then the chef will come out, excuse me, is there something wrong with your dish? I would, <laughs> like be, that? I would be the first one to go out with a smile. <laughs> more salt to the table. I'll be happy. I will shake their hand. <laughs> I'm heavy handed on the salt. Now, you started doing this thing on Sunday, the, the fine dining Sundays. Well, we used to do uh, beef stick Sundays okay. for about four and a half years. We just started last month okay. for the first time. We changed the concept from all-you-can-eat, grilled hanger steak and you know roasted potatoes, all-you-can-drink wine and beer for two-hour period to windows. Okay, I was about to say, because so, that seems dangerous to me. It is. You, you say I can yeah. eat anything I want there? or No, no anything. It's, not all I can eat. All I can eat, I mean. All-you-can-eat, like grilled hanger steak, bread, butter, yeah. potatoes. And wine for two hours. I'd be like that guy from the Monty Python bit where he, he explodes in the restaurant because mm-hmm. I'd just be eating and eating and eating because he had tastes too good. Explode on the, <laughs> on, on the way to the restaurant. But anyway, uh, we changed the concept a little bit, a little bit, a lot. We changed it to a casual fine dining, right? Uh, three course meal options, two options on each category, like appetizer, entree, and dessert. We're offering this three course meal, but the price range is really ridiculous, between twenty five dollars to thirty. I want to say. Depends on the ingredients. Which, but, good luck getting that anywhere else. <laughs> yeah. I think the following months, um, probably going to be Mexican themed, like a casual fine dining Mexican, where, where I'm going to let my sous chef take a role on that. I want to learn from him a little bit from his heritage. So okay. I'm excited about that too. Very cool. Well, how much do you think your heritage comes into your dishes? Well, I'm, re- I'm Middle Eastern, I'm Israeli, and um, I would say Mediterranean flavors have a lot of influence on me and my cooking. It's the region of the world where I come from. Everything is bold. If you go ranging from food to politics, everything is very bold. Right. You know, everything is very, like, strong. So I love to have very defined flavor. I don't like very fatty or creamy or things that are over, overcasting your palate. Mm-hmm. You know, very. I, I want to have the fat and I want to have the acid that cuts the fat. And I want the customer to be experiencing all of that. Okay. So a lot of that in... From my, what I, where I'm coming from, the acid, the spices, the fresh vegetables, 
all that put into my food. I agree. Every, I mean, all the food other places is just like reading a run-on sentence in Paradise Lost where yours is just constant <laughs> exclamation points. It's just exclamation points over and over again or expletives. You know, you, you got Paradise Lost on one side with Ben Stein reading it and then it's your food <laughs> is like Adam West Batman where yeah. the punch sign goes out. It's like, pow! Like, that's your food. Um, it's It definitely shines through. It's, it's really amazing stuff. All right, a couple of things we should mention about Bacaro. You have happy hours, Monday through Thursday? Yeah, we do. Happy hours is between 5 to 7. Monday to Thursday, we have sangria by the carafe. We have $5, half carafe, okay. and then a liter for $10. All the food is uh, $5 instead of 8 okay. On Mondays, all the wine by the glass is half off all night long, and the food between 5 to 7 is $5 instead of 8 which Mondays are probably the biggest, best happy hour in town. We don't have a, a limited menu for happy hour. Everything on the menu is $5. Beautiful. Yeah, beat that. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah and uh, another thing we should mention about the menu, it is a uh, flat price for... Yeah, it's for $8. It's $8 for everything. Okay. If it's between the burger, the pizzas, everything. We are going to start implementing a little bit more high-end products. That we might do like maybe five dishes. They're going to be a little bit higher price point. Okay. But that's to come. Right now, for example, we had the really big dish from the beginning, the, the scallop dish with the corn, little corn chowder. Besides, scallops prices went up tremendously. So it's really hard for us to accommodate in a lower price point. We do sell it for $11 right now at the restaurant. So there's something that there is a demand for it. Like people who ate it for four years coming back for that. We put it on, the, on Facebook and, you know, people okay. coming back for that dish and they want to have it. So I'm trying to accommodate that that aspect as well. Okay, and what are the uh, operating hours? Operating hours are 5 to 10, Monday through Thursday. And then Friday, Saturday, it's 5 to 11. Okay. Sunday is 5 to 10 too as well. Very good. And uh, the website is uh, bacaroela.com. Yes. Anything else that you'd like to mention? Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, it was a pleasure. Fun. Thanks for giving us your awesome, awesome food. I oh, my God. The, the, the best food I think I've, I've had ever. <laughs> ever? <laughs> Get out of here. I don't want to overstate it. I don't want to overstate it. But, uh, Adam wanted me to kill him after we left your restaurant. Cause Cause was that was it. He was ready. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's what happened. Wait, wait, wait. We have, in, in a year, we're opening another restaurant. So, oh, okay. Hopefully. You know, God will. In, in a year, it's going to be another great concept. Okay. Uh, which, you know, we still, it's still in the works, but hopefully in a year. Beautiful. It's going to be opening. Well, uh, when that does happen, we'll put it on our website. We'll post it on the Facebook. I'm looking forward to having you guys. All right. And uh, again, thank you very much for coming down. Thank you, guys. Until next time, I'm Adam. I'm Rex. And uh, Executive Chef Lior, thank you very much. Thank you, guys. Hi.